We are live. Welcome to the Brand and Associates podcast. In each episode, we try to provide some insightful discussion about important topics that you can implement in your business so that you can become a more effective insurance professional. We're going to jump right into discussion uh, with Chris today about why so many insurance people don't believe in what they are selling. So good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon, Paul. Good seeing you again. It, it is it is always wonderful. I always look forward to these uh, these chats. And we've got uh, this one today is why even, you know, sometimes the clients don't believe in it, but why are so many people that are, are trying to sell something they don't believe in? Um, yeah. Just to kind of kick that one off, I, I think one of the ideas that I had is they just don't know what they're selling, right? You get a lot of folks that go right into insurance and, and they're taught a few sales skills and how to prospect. They're given maybe a marketing slick on a particular product, but uh, it's hard to, it's hard to really advocate for something that you are unfamiliar with and don't know a lot about. It is. It's, it's really difficult to advocate and it's difficult to believe in something that you don't really, when you stop and think about it, what is it that you're selling? So I've asked that question of thousands of people in the industry and people will say, I am selling comfort. I am selling um, peace of mind. That's all fine, but that's not really what we're selling, right? We're selling an insurance contract. What's an insurance contract? Because that's pretty boring. Nobody really wants to buy an insurance contract. Um, so what are we selling? Um, are we selling something that addresses literally like a sleep aid? Or is this something along the lines of financial recovery mechanisms? Most people I talk to don't see it as a financial recovery mechanism. And that's what it really is. And how do you have peace of mind if you don't really know what it is that you're getting? Oh, this is going to put you back to the position you were before anything bad happens to you. You know. <laughs> yeah, but they don't even know what they're selling. Um, how does it work? So, you know, I think for people to really believe in what it is they're selling, they have to have a deep understanding of what exposures are being covered and what form or risk management or alternative risk transfer mechanism, whatever it is, how is that going to restore the client to the same financial position they were in the moment prior to the loss? How is that going to work? Because if you don't know how it's working, then you don't know what it is you're selling. And if you don't know what it is you're actually selling, it's probably unless you are a person that just believes in whatever words come out of your mouth without regards to whether they make any sense, it's going to be a hard time to believe in what it is you're doing. And the former is just an actor's job. You don't really need even a license to do an actor's job. I guess the SAG uh, Screen Guild would disagree, but you don't need an insurance license. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, if, if you don't, if you're just trying to sell it, you're, you're sitting in front of a, a business owner or, or even a, um, you know, personalized client and <laughs> something that you think is as simple as, oh, well, yeah, obviously the peril of 
fire is covered. I remember a, a customer that we had a couple decades ago almost now that had a fire and, and they were covered. The building itself was fine. Some of the equipment in the building, big problem. Uh, the lead times to get that, the business income. The fire part of that covered just great for the building to, to repair the outside of the building. All the other things that came along with that, those really truly peace of mind things, um, almost put the company out of business. You know, I, that's a great example. There's so many examples out there of where the producer, the account managers, oh, I sold them fire insurance. Well, that's only a small part of the equation. And, you know, I get, you know this, again, the, the, if everybody keeps in mind that the purpose of insurance is to put the consumer back in the exact same financial wealth spot, wealth meaning it's a balance sheet issue from a commercial perspective, as of the exact moment prior to the loss occurring. So I had a, I received an email, a pretty interesting email from someone that actually teaches insurance. And he was quoting me all kinds of things about casualty insurance as if, as if um, it had nothing to do with restoring a person's financial well-being. And as I responded to him, I said, do you, I said it nicer than this, but do you even know what casualty insurance is? Because casualty insurance liability coverage is designed so that if you are sued, whether you win or lose, if it's designed well, someone's paying your legal fees. Someone's going to pay your damages. So that at the end of the day, whether you win the suit or you lose the suit, you have the same financial wealth as the day before the suit hit your door. If it's a fire claim, if it's a business income claim, it doesn't really matter what it is. The purpose of insurance is to restore that person. So if you understand that, it's a lot easier to believe in why your clients need a more robust insurance package instead of just a price. And, oh, yeah, 100000 liability, that should be fine. That's not going to restore most middle class people to the same financial position they were in uh, prior to the claim. So I think that's one of the keys that you identify, Paul, is that they have to understand what it is they're just selling. And, and yeah, I think that's where you get the folks that where they don't believe in it, they can't advocate for it. They just go back to those, those trite phrases. Mm -hmm. and, and then the second piece that that kind of leads into the second point that I'd like to talk about is that, that too many customers have bad claims experiences. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of this just last night. Everybody has the local news channel. They have their consumer advocate guy that drives around and, and finds out all these companies that are just kind of nefarious or allegedly nefarious and puts it on the news and they talk about it all week long. Well, last night was, a, was an insurance um, segment and the claim was a, a unit owner in a condo, the condo master association, they had some plumbing issues in the building. They'd hired a plumber. The plumber came out, did the work, uh, left a, a pipe blocked sewage 
overflowed into uh, this unit owner's condo. And the good news was that the plumber's insurance carrier in this, you know, the liability of this, they accepted the liability and had an estimate written up. And, but, and so you're thinking we're tracking, we're going pretty good. This is, this should be a good experience. And it went south so much so that now you have a certain company that's on the news in not a very good light because the claim representative before they would release any payment uh, wanted a full release signed. And as, as insurance folks, we'd say, well, you should be able to pay out the undisputed amounts just right mm -hmm. away. This would have allowed the lady to, you know, replace her carpet, get her apartment clean, make it livable. But instead, you're, you're holding it up over uh, what may not even become a dispute. She's just worried that all the costs won't be covered. Um, and they may have been, but where the insurance company dug in their heels, you turned into a, a hugely bad experience. Um, and if you're selling products that aren't right for a, a person, they're going to have a bad claims experience because they didn't have the right product. Maybe people have seen that. And how, how do we address that and get folks to, to believe in the product they're selling when it seems to be kind of a ubiquitous thing that people are having these bad experiences? Yeah, that's a, that's a really frustrating claim example that you show, shared. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was at a picnic and uh, somebody introduced me to this older gentleman and he said, well, what do you do for a living? I told him I'm in insurance. He goes, well, you probably don't want to talk to me. I was like, okay, why not? He goes, well, because I'm a plaintiff attorney that very successfully sues insurance companies. And most of the, most of the cases I win are because the adjuster was an idiot. And then he went on and he started explaining all these examples. And it was exactly what you just described. These were lawsuits that never needed to happen if the party, if the carrier, the adjuster, whomever it was, was just a little bit more reasonable and, and or just had read the policy that they were adjusting upon. In some cases, he shared they were actually adjusting upon a policy that wasn't the policy in question. They didn't even take the time to read the actual form. So um, I still have figured out quite how that happened. But this again is where I think, and I know for a fact, because we have clients that do this, the deeper your knowledge at the agency level of what a form does, what the policy delivers, the more you can believe in what it is you're selling because you are in more control of the situation. The more you know about it, and an adjuster comes and does something stupid, the better you can advocate behind the scenes. You got to draw that line real carefully. But the more you can advocate behind the scenes with the adjuster that let's sit down and read this together. Let's sit down and let's think through the, these part, this part of the claim. No one's, everyone's in agreement on this part of the claim. Cut a check. You have nothing to lose, but cut a check on that part. Let's get it done, make life easier for all of us. And we have a good experience. If you don't know what you're doing and you don't know the product, you can't have that conversation with that. Or if you do, you come off like an idiot because inevitably you'll say something stupid. But if you know what you're doing, then you can believe in yourself 
and believing in yourself gives you the confidence to believe in what you're selling. I think that's the best solution in that, in those kinds of claim situations. Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't think as an industry, we're going to be able to change everybody's perception. It's, it's out there. I think you just have to, to live with the fact that you, you're going to maybe start from a little bit of a deficit, get a bad rap because of all that. But if you, you can, you can believe in what you're doing and what you're selling because you have the knowledge and understand how to, how to navigate through and, and, and use the appropriate product for the, the situation. Yeah. But, uh, but then that brings me to the, to the third point I wanted to hit is a lot of times we don't have the appropriate product. Mm-hmm. Um, people have exposures that they want to have that quote unquote peace of mind for there's nothing to give them. There's nothing, to, there's nothing that, that can give them that peace of mind because we don't have uh, an insurance contract, to your point, that we can sell. And uh, rather than acknowledging that or working with them in a different way, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's all perils policy. <laughs> yeah, all perils. Um, I think there's two parts to that, too. One part is that a lot of times the product does exist, but we don't have enough education to know how to use it well. And the very, very best example I can give of that is business income, um, especially the different, more extravagant versions of business income that, that may be available if we search hard enough. That's a great coverage and understanding it better is so important to um, provide that, co- that product. And then the second part is that um, we don't really have the product available to a large to large extent, except that some very high levels of the industry. And Aon really did a great study, I think it was three years ago now, maybe four, where they identified that if you take the S&P 500, 84% of the S&P 500's assets are intangible assets and therefore not generally covered by an insurance policy. The insurance policies are covering 16% of the assets. And that varies when you get to small, medium businesses. That varies somewhat. Uh, Maybe comes down, maybe goes up to closer to 100% for a lot of businesses these days. Well, if we're only coming to the table and with products that only apply to 16% of a corporation's assets, how, how easy is it to believe that we're really all that important, that what we're delivering is of, of significant value? What about the other 84%? Um, it's a problem that the industry has where we're just stuck back in about 1970, thinking that everything out there is Detroit metal and it's all a hard asset. We're in the information age, we're in the software age, we're in the data age. All that data is so valuable, and yet where is it insured? I think we have to change some of the products we're offering so that we can believe that that we're insuring what's actually important in our economy today. Oh, for sure. I mean, I just think about two two, um, 
scenarios where I'm at, right, is the, uh, the Silicon Slopes. You have so many mm-hmm. software technology companies and, and the at hard assets they have are, I don't want to say immaterial to the operation, but it's computers, you know, desks. They're yeah. generally in office space. A lot of their employees are remote. I mean, what assets are there other than intellectual assets and, exactly. and cyber and things? So it's it's a very specialized uh, product that you're having to bring to them. They don't really care about uh, a, a property policy or, or, you know, workers comp is just basically clerical employees. You're not really solving many problems there. So mm-hmm. what are those specific ones? And then another one, I just think of some of the smaller businesses that are more consumer type goods, but they're not really manufacturers. The, the, the stuff's manufactured somewhere else, it's mm-hmm. drop shipped. They pretty much work out of another uh, of a little office. And are you really taking care of their supply chain? Right, with, absolutely. You know, with a tradition, because you go in and you say, oh, that's just a little office you got on the second floor of the of the um, building downtown, I'm just going to write you a bop. As ALS, 12 months, you're good. <laughs> Not quite. Not, Not quite on two levels. One, they've got a, there's a, a, there's no supply chain coverage for all practical purposes in that model, in that solution. And there's no intellectual property coverage for it. So for, I, I have a, a friend exactly what you just described, except that he didn't even have an office. He, he only had his garage. So he designed this relatively cheap, something like a $7 consumer product. At the retail level, it was like $7. But it was, it turned out to be a product that was extremely hard to design. And so with his engineering skills, he made, he figured out how to design it. And then get it manufactured for, you know, $3, sell it for seven, whatever it was. Someone came along and stole the engineering design. And pretty close to put him out of business. At $7 a unit, the units themselves are of zero value. There's no, there's no need to insure them. That intellectual property, the design was worth several million dollars and nobody even offered to insure it. That's what he needed insured. He didn't need a BOP really other than for whatever liability purposes, I guess, just the perfunctory coverage. What he needed was intellectual property and then he needed supply chain coverage. Nobody offered it to him. That's what we need to bring to, to the table. Are you there, Paul? Quite decent. Okay. Yeah, so he, he was selling these units. They're about $7. They cost him about three. And so he doesn't really need insurance for any of that. What he needed coverage for was somebody stealing his intellectual property 
the intellectual property were, was worth millions. And then trade uh, supply chain for the manufacturing process. Now, nobody offered him coverage. His agent never even talked to him about any of that. The coverage is definitely hard to obtain. That's what we need to ensure. That's what we need to believe in. The agent didn't offer him coverage for that, that what he really needed. Maybe they didn't identify it. Maybe they didn't understand the risk. But maybe also they didn't believe in what they were selling because they knew that what they were selling was inadequate and they didn't have a good solution for what was really required. And some of these aren't even new um, products that you need to sell. Some of them are off-the-shelf stuff. Mm -hmm. Just even E&O insurance, professional liability insurance, I think is woefully um, undersold to, to many professions. You, you get the architects and engineers, you have accountants, you have attorneys, you get outside and, and medical malpractice insurance. Right, you get outside right. of those big four and it's, it's hardly, hardly um, addressed by the vast majority, I think, of, of, of agents and brokers out there. And, and it's what the people need the most, right? Is maybe, maybe there's not a, necessarily an asset there other than your wealth that you're writing a check to attorneys to defend you and you mm -hmm. could have had that piece covered. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to, to believe in what you're selling and you're not just an actor. To really believe in what you're selling, you've got to know what you're selling. You have you're to have a deep knowledge. Order. You're not just Are, taking an order from somebody that says, give me insurance. And it's just this amoeba-like undefined yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the key. Funny thing, I was working with a client a few weeks back and he and they and I said, wow, how did your cross sales increase so much? And he said, well, now that we understand what we're selling, we understand these other products. We talk to clients and it turns out they actually want them. Said, All right, cool. It works out for everybody really well. It's amazing how that works. Um, and the other reason sales increase when you really understand what you're selling is your confidence increases. It's not just that you have a conviction. It's also that you have confidence. So that deep understanding is just really the solution on so many levels. And uh, that's how you, I think, I think that's how you get people to really believe in what they're selling. Um, and if you're a control freak, you're taking the control out of the carrier's hands to do what's right. So um, that's even better. Great. Well, thank you, Chris. Very insightful discussion as always. I appreciate it. We hope that this can help somebody uh, believe in what, what they're selling because it's always a lot more fun for everyone when we have good practitioners, we have people believing in what they're doing and actually delivering rather than not continuing to cause, cause bad names for us. So oh, it is. Thank you, Paul. Absolutely. Thanks so much. We'll talk with you next time. All right.